I love you. I'm going to get a parrot. That's all I need. Just a parrot just says, I love you. I love you. I love you. Fascists, vandals, Nazis, Stalinists. No, not Stalinists, fascists. That's how an angry president of Brazil, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, described the thousands of Bolsonaro supporters who stormed his nation's capital on Sunday, taking over the presidential palace and buildings that house Brazil's Supreme Court and Congress. I'm David Feldman, and this is The Mop Up. Insurrectionists tore into Brazil's Supreme Court, ransacking the building, destroying priceless art, with one protester videotaping himself defecating inside one of the justices' offices. When did that become a thing? Others broke into the presidential palace, destroying furniture, smashing windows, and tossing computers out the window. The buildings, luckily, were empty since the president was out of town and the legislature was in recess. So no elected government officials were in danger, but eight journalists covering the riot were injured by the crowd. President Lula invoked his constitutional authority that grants him, in a time of crisis, temporary power to restore law and order. Until the end of this month, all federal police will answer solely to Lula, with one minister warning these extraordinary powers could be extended well into February. Flavio Dino, Brazil's new prime minister of justice, said he will personally be investigating what role local police played in cooperating with the insurrectionists, the local police. President Lula defeated former President Bolsonaro at the end of last October, and yesterday Lula accused Bolsonaro of politicizing local police forces, convincing them to put Bolsonaro before democracy. There are reportedly videos of local police officers cooperating with the protesters, talking with them, using their cameras to film the attack instead of stopping it while occasionally posing for selfies with the rioters. There are reports that during the heat of the riot, requests for more police were ignored by the local governor who is said to be a supporter of Bolsonaro. Supporters of Bolsonaro had been camping outside military buildings for weeks, convinced the election had been rigged. They reportedly begged the army to overthrow Lula and restore Bolsonaro, who has relocated to Orlando, Florida, about two weeks ago, he has refused to concede or even attend Lula's inauguration on January 1st. As the rioting continued for three hours, Bolsonaro issued a statement condemning the violence, saying, quote, it crossed the line. Bolsonaro's wife said on Monday her husband is now in a Florida hospital suffering from some sort of abdominal distress.
Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro told CNN that Bolsonaro is guilty of inciting violence and should be sent back to Brazil to answer for it immediately. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Monday called on President Biden to send Bolsonaro back to Brazil so he could face impending charges for inciting the violence. And President Lula today blamed Bolsonaro for the violence and promised to hold everyone responsible accountable. Meanwhile, a leading Brazilian senator has filed a motion with Brazil's Supreme Court demanding Bolsonaro be extradited to his country in the next 72 hours to face charges for his role in Sunday's violence. America's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, says so far no Brazilian courts have contacted the United States requesting Bolsonaro to be sent back. Sullivan told reporters that the uh, national security uh, Department will deal with that issue when it arises. The Financial Times reports that it is well within Joe Biden's power to deport any foreign leader he deems a threat to America's security or foreign policy. The Financial Times also reports Bolsonaro is probably in America on a 30-day visa that would have to be renewed in two weeks. Business Insider reports that this Morning, Steve Bannon called the people who stormed the Capitol Brazilian freedom fighters. Working as a consultant to Bolsonaro, Bannon has been claiming voter fraud in Brazil since before Bolsonaro even lost the election. Former President Donald Trump endorsed Bolsonaro and, not surprisingly, has remained silent since Sunday's riot. The Washington, uh, the Washington Post reported back in November that Bolsonaro's son, Eduardo Bolsonaro, who serves in the Brazilian Congress, he uh, flew to Mar-a-Lago after his father was defeated in October to meet with Donald Trump for advice on what to do next. On that trip, he reportedly also talked with Steve Bannon by phone. Bannon couldn't be there in person, because at the time of the visit, Bannon was in Arizona assisting election denier Carrie Lake with her false claims that she lost her race for Arizona governor due to voter fraud. Two weeks ago, the Arizona Supreme Court rejected Carrie Lake's claims of voter fraud. But that doesn't stop Carrie Lake from jetting back and forth to Mar-a-Lago while claiming she is now, quote, the duly elected governor of Arizona. These people are incredible. Bolsonaro's son on that trip also met with former Trump spokesman Jason Miller. Jason Miller left the Trump White House to join Newsmax. He runs Getter. That's a social media platform. And he briefly worked over at CNN right after leaving the Trump White House. Jason it's a good family guy. He's married, has two small children. Well, technically, he has three small children. And the third child he had was born only months after his second child was born. No, his wife isn't one of those swamp wallabies that can get pregnant while they're already pregnant. At least I don't think Jason Miller's wife 
is a swamp wallaby. Somebody should probably look into it. But I'm pretty sure Jason Miller's wife isn't a swamp wallaby. From what I've read, the reason Jason Miller had his third child only months after his second child was born is because he is a rat. Yes, he's a rat. You see, Jason Miller, while promoting conservative Christian values and trying to secure the presidency for Donald Trump, you all remember Donald Trump, the darling of America's evangelical community, which thinks sex is dirty. Well, while uh, trying to get family man Donald Trump elected president, Jason Miller had an extramarital adulterous sexual intercourse penis and vagina affair with another Trump staffer by the name of A.J. Delgado. A.J. Delgado. Uh, the good news is, like all good Christian conservatives, the two of them didn't use contraception. Uh, the bad news is they're not just against contraception. They're also opposed to abortion. So A.J. Delgado kept the baby but like all good Christian conservatives, Jason Miller owned up to his mistake, said the baby was his and worked it out with his wife so that he would pay child support and share custody and participate in his illegitimate child's life. Just kidding. Jason Miller, conservative family values, you know, all about family values. He did the Republican thing and refused to pay child support. Anyway, don't take my word. Here is CNN's Jake Tapper's tweet on January 3rd, 2021, which is addressed directly to Jason Miller. Uh, uh, while I have your attention, pay your child support. Seems to me, Jason Miller, if you're an anti-abortion Republican who has a child out of wedlock and then must be taken to court kicking and screaming to pay child support, your career as a Republican should be aborted. But what do I know? There's simply no accountability with these people. People? Yeah, I'll be generous. People. They just move on. Jason Miller was advising the Bolsonaro family. So you can clearly see that the Bolsonaro family was seeking advice from America's best and brightest. And by best and brightest, I mean worst and dimmest. As I said, the son, Congressman Eduardo Bolsonaro, worked closely with the Trump administration and was in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, when Trump supporters seized our nation's capital. Presumably, Eduardo was there to take notes. The Post, the Washington Post, reported back in November that after Lula won, Steve Bannon advised a distraught Bolsonaro family to contest the election results, which Bolsonaro immediately did, insisting 250,000 voting machines didn't work properly. But unlike in America, Brazil doesn't put up with election denying. Last year, Brazil's Supreme Court ordered several Bolsonaro supporters, including Brazilian Congresswoman Carla Zambelli, who herself had 10 million Twitter followers. She, she and several other Bolsonaro 
supporters were ordered by their Supreme Court to get off social media permanently after they refused to stop spreading lies about voter fraud. Interesting. She also reportedly chased after a Lula supporter during the election while brandishing a gun. Good people. Did I mention that when Bolsonaro won four years ago, he was a big supporter of gun rights and the National Rifle Association made a lot of money helping him? The Post reports that Congresswoman Zambelli has flown to Washington, D.C. several times to meet with Trump advisors about election fraud, or at least how to spread the lies about election fraud. Now, while Joe Biden has condemned Sunday's violence in Brazil, Republicans have been silent, absolutely silent, except for two Republicans, Florida Senator and Medicare scam artist Rick Scott. Remember, he ripped off Medicare for more than a billion dollars. And uh, so he became a Republican senator. So Florida Senator Rick Scott condemned the violence. These are the only two Republicans so far who have condemned the violence in Brazil. Florida Senator Rick Scott, and get ready for this, newly sworn in Republican congressman from New York and Olympic figure skating gold medalist, as well as lead guitarist for Limp Biscuit, none other than Archbishop George Santos. George Santos was born in Brazil and he condemned the violence. Wait, I'm being told this is not a picture of George Santos. That's not what George Santos looks like. Wait, I, I've been sexting with him for weeks. That's not George Santos. Do we have a picture of what the real George Santos looks? Looks like the one in the middle. Damn, he's even sexier than the pictures he texted me. Call me George. Well, as of today, President Trump has issued no comment about the insurrection, the January 8th insurrection. And the newly elected Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has also failed to condemn the violence in Brazil. But why would Kevin McCarthy condemn the violence in Brazil? He hardly condemned the violence on January 6. You do remember he refused to certify the election for Joe Biden only hours after Trump supporters stormed the Capitol and tried to hang the lady who used to have Kevin McCarthy's new job. So if he's not going to condemn that violence, why would we expect Kevin McCarthy to condemn the July 8th violence in Brazil? When I was a kid, uh, hmm, yeah, it's uh, a nice picture of me. When I was a kid, uh, Americans looked at the turmoil in South America and asked, could it happen here? After January 6th, the people of Brazil asked, could it happen here? And on January 8th, it did. I'm naive, but it's unimaginable to me that there are actually people, Americans, who are opposed to democracy. But there are, and there always have been. In fact, they came up with this country. Uh, the people who gave us this republic, 
they kind of sort of believed in majority rule, but not really. Our founding criminals like James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, they gave us the Senate and the Electoral College to prevent the mob, the mob from seizing power. And while I have nothing but contempt for our founding criminals, and you want to tear down their statues, and you probably should, um, I, I don't care. But there is still a promise they made to America, and that is to make it more democratic. That is the promise these criminals made to future generations. You know, elites have always found it fashionable to say they possess a Madisonian mistrust of the mob. And James Madison essentially wrote the U.S. Constitution. He was a slaveholder, an evil slaveholder. Well, they're all evil. And uh, he baked into our Constitution speed bumps to prevent most Americans from voting. So James Madison, slaveholder, wrote the Constitution. He is one of our nation's founding criminals. I feel no need to celebrate, no need to thank him. But since we're still working off his blueprint for government, it is worth noting that this monster's autobahn, if you will, is the American people's ability to amend the Constitution. He gave us an autobahn. You know, Hitler gave us the autobahn. Madison gave us an autobahn, which allowed us to amend the Constitution. Unlike the majority of idiots who sit on our Supreme Court, James Madison, the slaveholder who wrote the Constitution, did not for one second believe the Constitution was anything other than a living and breathing document that had to be amended every now and then to change with the times. So if you're looking for original intent, if you're a strict textualist, then you must read the Constitution in the context of now, not when it was written, but today. The original intent of our founding criminals was more democracy with the caveat when we're ready for it. Again, I'm not going to defend the criminals who wrote the Constitution. I think it's dangerous to worship anyone. Uh, and so did our founding fathers, by the way. They didn't believe in autocrats. Uh, they didn't believe in worshiping God for all for all we know. They believe that anyone who had too much power should be automatically cut off at the knees. And I like that. They also believed in something resembling majority rule, something resembling majority rule, not majority rule, something resembling it with the promise to keep making America more of a democracy. But what we are dealing with here now is an open rebellion, specifically in the Republican Party. It is an open rebellion of fascists, authoritarians who don't believe in democracy because they don't believe in voting. That's why they keep calling these elections rigged. They want to discredit the democratic process. They want Americans to believe that their votes can't be counted because they don't, Bannon, people like Steve Bannon, don't believe in people voting. These people, it's hard to, 
It's hard to believe that these people exist here in America. We are, I, we are so naive. The, 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 the venality that exists, that, that if we don't pay attention to it, they will, they will run us all over. These people exist. These are the same people camping outside the Brazilian defense ministry, begging the military, begging the Brazilian military to overthrow Lula and take their country back to when it was ruled by generals. Make Brazil great again. You see, Brazil was a military dictatorship from 1964 until 1985. And there are many, many people, including the Bolsonaro family, Steve Bannon and Donald Trump, who think that was Brazil's golden age. These people do not believe in democracy. I know it's hard to believe, but too many Americans do not believe in majority rule. And yet they insist that they are real Americans. They insist that they are the real patriots. They are not. America is about more democracy, not less democracy, more and more and more. The great constitutional scholar, Congressman Jamie Raskin, writes in the January 6th report that most of the 17 amendments added to the Constitution since the Bill of Rights, most of those 17 amendments were intended to make America more of a democracy to give more, not less voice to the so-called mob. Congressman Raskin writes that starting with the 13th Amendment, which freed the slaves, America has tried to transform itself from a slave republic to a democratic one. That gives me hope. That gives me the chills that we are working to transform this country from a slave republic to a democratic republic, and we are not there yet. We still have slavery in this country. Many of our prisons still force inmates to work either for free or pennies on the dollar. Our prison system has more black men either behind bars or out on parole than there were black slaves in 1850. But this country is still bending towards not away from more and more democracy. As Professor Corey Brettschneider suggested on this program countless times, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees due process and equal protection under the law, is almost like the United States Constitution Part Two. It's kind of like our New Testament. It's making up for our sins of the past, the 14th Amendment. It could be said that the 14th Amendment is a constitution into all by itself. Despite all the undemocratic atrocities America continues to commit here and overseas, our sacred documents, especially the 14th Amendment, have always promised more democracy, not less of it. But as we see on January 6th and now on January 8th in Brazil, there are those who hate democracy. They insist too much freedom is dangerous and ordinary Americans cannot be trusted to decide their own fate. 
These are authoritarians who chose violence over democracy. They claim their country must be protected from the mob without realizing they themselves, they themselves are the mob. Section three of the 14th Amendment is the disqualification clause. I'm going to read it to you. The disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment. It clearly states, quote, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. What that means is if you aided and abetted or participated in an insurrection that automatically disqualifies you from ever holding elective office again. That is why our brand new speaker, Kevin McCarthy, should not be working with Congressman Paul Gosar, who begged Donald Trump for a pardon after January 6th. He should not be working with Congressman Andy Biggs, who begged President Trump for a pardon. After January 6th, he should not be working with Congressman Scott Perry, whose phone was seized by the FBI last summer. These men and a lot of other Republicans are disqualified to hold elective office for the role they played in the January 6th insurrection. Let me go one step further. Any member of Congress who returned to the Capitol hours after January 6th and voted not to certify the presidential election for Joe Biden was doing Donald Trump's dirty work. They were continuing to stop the peaceful transfer of power by perpetuating a fraud, perpetuating, I, that's the second time I screwed that word, per perpetrating a fraud on the American people. They were continuing the insurrection. They were continuing the insurrection after the Capitol had been cleared out by not voting to certify the election for Joe Biden at about 3 a.m. on January 7th, 2021. They were continuing the insurrection. The purpose of that whole plan was to stop a peaceful transfer of power. They were participating in an insurrection by voting against certifying the election for Joe Biden. They were participating in the very same insurrection that Donald Trump and his gang orchestrated. And therefore, under the 14th Amendment, they are automatically disqualified from ever holding elective office again. Kevin McCarthy, our new speaker, refused to certify the election for Joe Biden after that insurrection. And by failing to vote to certify, 
He continued the insurrection. And then he went to Mar-a-Lago afterwards to kiss Donald Trump's ring. And he still denies Joe Biden won in 2020. January 6th continues. January 6th continues. Trump is still calling members of Congress. He was calling the floor to get McCarthy elected Friday night. He is still running for president. Kevin McCarthy doesn't deserve to be speaker because under the 14th Amendment, he doesn't deserve to be a member of Congress. He should be disqualified because he is an election denier who refused to certify the election for Joe Biden. McCarthy has even promised to defang the House Ethics Office to make sure nobody involved in the insurrection of January 6th, including himself, will ever be held accountable. Lula of Brazil is promising to hold Bolsonaro accountable for January 8th. Meanwhile, Donald Trump walks free and has not been disqualified from running for office. And so January 6th rages on to this day. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the week. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right buckle in real tight. Rice. He's Howie Klein is washing rice. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, and he writes Down with Tyranny. Everybody should go to Down with Tyranny and read him every day. We're going to talk obviously about Marjorie Taylor Greene and her new 118th Congress. Apparently, she seems to be in charge of the entire uh, operation. But first, Howie, you have always taught me that the best way to follow politics is salaciously to to pay attention to the gossip. You, 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 I always say that you, you offer a salacious civics lesson and you you are always right. Sometimes I don't believe what you're telling me, but this one I find impossible to believe. Um, the gentleman who, uh, from Alabama, the congressman who threatened to punch Matt Gates Friday night after Matt Gates voted present instead of for McCarthy. Rogers, is that his name? Mike Rogers, he's from Alabama. Right. And I'm looking at a picture of him. And before we started, you told me he has a toupee. And, you know, I pay attention to these things, Howie. I think that is a luscious, verdant head of hair. I don't see the toupee. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. This uh, he he is a master, a master of illusion. That is the most convincing toupee I have seen since uh, Bill Shatner in 1976. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yes, it is absolutely a toupee. Many people were hoping that he would um, get into a fight with Gates and that the toupee would come off. But uh, <laughs> another, um, oh, what's it, Richard Hudson, 
pulled him away because he was he was screaming he was screaming profanities at Gates, which is not something that the New York Times or any of the media talked about, right? So so the um, you know you you see the the uh, the C-SPAN pictures, but you don't hear what he's screaming. Now at, at a certain point, Richard Hudson's hand comes up and covers his mouth and drags him off with his mouth covered. And that's because he was saying horrible things about about, uh, about Gates. Now, he was saying personal things and kind of professional things. The problem is this. He, he has two roles that involve Gates. He's the chairman. He, he's the incoming chairman of the uh, House Armed Services Committee. And Gates wants a gavel for one of the subcommittees because Gates has a very military district and it will, would help him uh, with his constituents if he was the chair of, of a respectable committee, a subcommittee. And Rogers thinks he's a clown and doesn't want to give him uh, a, uh, a chair. Now, uh, I mean a gavel, sorry. So, so that's one thing. The other is that um, Rogers is also on the committee that decides who, goes, who gets the committees. So I, I can't remember what they call it, what the Republicans call it, but they have a committee and that committee votes who gets on each committee. You, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but on the other hand, the, the uh, speaker has a lot of, a lot of say over that. So it, apparently Gates made a deal with um, uh, uh, McCarthy to, to get that sub, that subcommittee. And because of that, it looks like um, Rogers is resigning from that committee of committees. Uh, I heard that today from um, from a friend of mine uh, who's a, who works as a staffer uh, uh, um, for the Republicans. I see. So uh, over down with Tierney, there's a picture of Rogers. I still can't believe that's a toupee. And you put in uh, Vladimir Putin right behind him. Why is Vladimir Putin in this shot over at Down with Tyranny? Well, just because the Republicans are so um, sort of uh, in the pocket of, of Putin. Uh, and and it, the funny thing is, it isn't so much Rogers as, as it is... Um, Rogers is not in the pocket of Putin uh, the way Gates is. So the Republicans, for example, want to defund um, the war in uh, uh, Ukraine. They, they don't think the U.S. should be putting any money into it. And, that, and Gates is one of the people who, who, uh, who stands for that. So that's why it's a little funny. Um, yeah. So, so a little all right. So in, in this community that I've built here over the David Feldman show, most of the people who speak the loudest on the show, and I have tremendous respect for them, they discount Russiagate. They insist that Putin had nothing to do with uh, getting Trump elected, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing to do with Dana Rohrbacker, nothing to do with these Russian, uh, nothing to do with these Russian senators. Or the NRA. They, they, Look, I don't want to. I don't want to fight with your uh, listeners, but uh, what, what can I say? They're, they're wrong about it. 
uh, and uh, and you know that, and uh, and I know that, and just because a couple of loudmouths think otherwise doesn't make doesn't make it right. But I, I like I said, I don't want to fight with them. Right. Uh, let's like leave, why don't we leave that alone? Let's not relitigate the past. And Putin is still funneling money to these Republicans. Well, look at George Santos. I mean, I, again, I don't want to fight with your, uh, you know, all the George Santos fans who listen to your show because uh, I know they're loud and, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I, I've written about the guy's name, but some Russian plutocrat who's very much part of the inner circle of, um, of Putin gave a, a tremendous amount of money to, uh, uh, to Santos for his campaign. Now, so he had a lot of straw donors giving money, including his cousin, who gave fifty-six grand. And that and that that was kind of you know legal, kind of. Um, well, straw, straw donations are illegal, but if, you can't really prove that this was a straw donation. So let's call that one legal, even though it isn't really legal. But let's call it legal. There, there is a lot of thought now that the seven hundred thousand dollars that Santos put into his campaign came right from the Kremlin, right from that Russian oligarch. So yes, they're still interfering. Uh, they, you know, the idea with them is let's buy a, uh, let's buy members of Congress, let's buy senators, it's so inexpensive. And uh, that, that was the goal. Wait a second, George Santos, Santos, George Santos, the newly elected congressman from New York is an archbishop in the Catholic Church, you're you're saying he can be bought by the Russians? I mean, this guy, when he leaves Congress, George Santos may be elected Pope. Is he that easily? Wait, wasn't that already in his? Uh, <laughs> yes, in it his is. Biography? Yes, already elected. Now is he still? He's been lying, right? He's still lying. He's basically been lying about everything. I mean, everything, and. Uh, and, and the problem is, is when you lie and you say you're a Jew, uh, that's one thing, you know, you may get, you may anger some people, but he's been lying about some other things um, that that are, that are in a different category, like his campaign finances. Like right. there are certain things that are illegal. Right. Certain things are just idiotic, like saying I'm a Jew right. when you're not a Jew. Right. And then saying you're a Jew. I never said I was Jewish. I said I was Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he wrote many, many times that he was Jewish in his, in his campaign propaganda, um, but in but but in any case, he, uh, he Santos uh, is, is such a clown that he uh, he had his campaign finance uh, chair or not chair, but his campaign finance staffer calling up wealthy Republicans and and and. and doing an impression of uh, uh, McCarthy's chief of staff. So he would say, hi, this is Dan. I'm McCarthy's chief of staff. Wow. And I really want you to give money to, uh, to uh, George Santos. It's urgent and really, really important to uh, the future speaker. That's, and, that's what Trump that used to do. People. Trump used to do that. <laughs> Trump, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. But he would call up and say, I'm like, Baron something, and he would... Uh, oh, yes, Baron, yes. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. So, uh, so it, the point is is that uh, yeah, Santos is just a liar. He lies about everything. Some of the things just are embarrassing, but some of the things are actually illegal. And now 
he's finally done something that's going to piss off the Republicans, which is he has um, uh, pissed off their donors and that that they can't handle. Right. So that just came out today. Uh, and uh, that's that's going to be a, a breaking story this week. By the way, who who lies and says they're a Jew? The whole you're supposed to lie and say you're not a Jew. Did somebody explain that to him? I should. So no, he's in he's he's in a very Jewish. Well, is, is about thirty some odd percent uh, Jewish, um, and, but a lot of the donors are Jewish. So you know, you know Great Neck that area? Yeah, of course. That's in the district, and that's a very Jewish area. So he, he, you know, that whole bullshit with him being a Jew, that really came from uh, wanting to get uh, Jewish contributions. That, that's what I, that was I about. see. I see. So, tell me about Tom, who is Tom Emmer? He I, he was on the Sunday talk shows. He was running the Republican uh, congressional campaign, right? He was running the NRCC, their version of the DCCC. So he was in charge of trying to get Republicans elected to, to the House. And um, he, so he, but there's a lot of other things that he is. So like right now, he's the number three Republican in Congress. Um, he's the whip. He's the majority whip as of, uh, I guess, today. So how, did, how does that happen? Especially when the Republicans were so disappointed in how they did um, in, in the midterms. And this is the guy who was in charge of that. So it, it, so he, he, but one of his other big jobs was he was one of the senior members of the house financial services committee, which is the most com, um, corrupt committee in Congress. Cause that's where the banksters all go to put their money in, in the people who will do their bidding. And he's certainly someone who would do their bidding. Um, and one of the people whose bidding he did in a very, very egregious way was Sam Bankman-Fried. You remember him mm-hmm. from uh, TFX. So TFX laundered a lot of money into Emmer, into Emmer's pockets. Uh, also, in, uh, Emmer would say, okay, we need money for this candidate or we need money for that candidate. And they would, um, they would do what he said. So he very much was indebted to, T- to Sam Bankman-Fried. And when Sam Bankman-Fried came in front of the um, the the House Financial Services Committee for an oversight hearing. All I, I have the video of it up on my blog, and all Emery would do was say, you know, how wonderful he was. Or is it, Mr. Bankman Fried? Isn't it true that you are the most wonderful person <laughs> on the face of the earth? And remember, you're under oath. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, he's not in jail. And he was on uh, Fox this morning saying how uh, domestic um, domestic uh, spending is out of control and the Republicans are going to get that back under control. And what that means is cutting Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, Obamacare subsidies, things like that. And firing IRS agents, you write. That's the, the IRS agents who... You know, all of the IRS agents who were hired, far less than the 87,000 that the Republicans are making right. up out of nowhere, uh, are, are char- the ones who are, are uh, have to do with audits are charged with doing audits of people whose income, annual income, is $400,000 a year. Now, it's not it's not a rule, but generally speaking, someone who's making $400,000 a year is generally a millionaire, mm-hmm. right? You know, you don't have to make a million dollars a year to be a millionaire. Uh, 
so what is what what they're not are poor, struggling, uh, working class uh, Americans. Someone who's making four hundred thousand dollars, even in New York or L.A., is very wealthy, and that that is who is, hasn't been paying their taxes. And people who are suspected of not paying their taxes are the people who are going to be audited. And of course, the Republicans are ho- so horrified about that 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 is the very first piece of legislation that they're bringing up, which is going to be um, uh, Monday night. That's incredible. That the very first, I mean, to, you know, I'm not a big fan of Nancy Pelosi. Absolutely. I'm sorry. And, and, they're, and they're proud of the fact that it's the first. They're, they're all over TV bragging. You know, this is our first piece of legislation. You know, they, of course, they lie about it and they say it's uh, uh, that it's about uh, saving um, American workers uh, from being audited. That's what they right. that's what they claim. But there are no American um, workers who will be audited under this program. None. Zero. When Nancy Pelosi got the gavel in 2019, the first bill, I think it was H.R. 1, was uh, House Ethics, right? What was what was that big bill? Well, well, no, House, House Ethics, I, I don't think that's a bill. That, that's, that's, a, that's something else. That's a rule. But what was the, the big, the, her, House, her first bill? Public authority did House, House Ethics. They, they, they abolished it. I'm sorry, I, <laughs> the, you broke they, up. I mean, that was the they did before of trying to pass any legislation where they got rid of uh, House ethics. <laughs> the Republicans got rid of why. that. The Republicans got rid of they, they're defunding the, the, the office for House ethics, right? They, they don't want any ethics. They're, right. they're against ethics. But what was the first bill that defined Pelosi? It was the first thing she introduced on day one. Uh, I, I don't remember. But it didn't pass. It, it was, uh, it never passed. No, no, no. He doesn't, doesn't bring up bills that don't pass. It may not have passed the Senate. It certainly would have, right. wouldn't have not passed the House. Anything she brings up passes the House. Okay, so Tom Emmer is smarter than uh, Scott, who ran the Republican Senate campaign, right? <laughs> I don't know. Ex- Ex- Neither of them is, is. So you have something over it down with tyranny. Uh, a poll from Data for Progress, which shows a majority of voters say they would per- be perfectly satisfied with uh, Congress raising taxes on the wealthy to support social spending. Mm-hmm. Why aren't and, we? And, why are we taking pitchforks? Uh, you know, why aren't the people the people who stormed the? Not that I'm saying anybody should storm the Capitol, but it is. The wrong people are showing up, let's say, to protest the Capitol, aren't they? Well, they have their, their you know, they have their own uh, situation of what they're uh, angry about. But yes, what you are saying is basically is uh, liberals uh, have lots to be angry about, too. And now they're really going to have a lot to be angry about because um, we're in a situation where uh, Republicans are going to be pass, passing bills. Now, it's easy to say, well, they can't, they, nothing is going to become law because there's a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. And, you know, how, how quick is, how quick do you think, um, Mr. Bipartisan, uh, uh, president is going to sell, sell us out? Right. Were you, Surprised by everybody voting for Hakeem Jeffries, the, the solidarity. Were you 
upset by that? No. You you thought it was a good no. idea? No, 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 no. That's the way they do it. That's you know it, it, it's performative. It doesn't mean anything. It's you know obviously he's not going to be speaker. They they they, they, they you know I, I yeah there, there was no one who was going to vote against him. Okay. The uh, there's going to be investigation into Schiff and Cheney and Benny Thompson and the January 6th committee. Is that going to be real? Is Kevin McCarthy really going to investigate the January 6th committee? Uh, maybe. maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, look, he's now controlled by um, the Freedom Caucus radicals, not even not even the. <laughs> Not even the, the Freedom Caucus, just the real radicals in the Freedom Caucus. So they're, you know, if they want these things, it, it doesn't cost him anything. He, you know, he'll give it to them. Someone said on Twitter the other day, how long before they, um, you know, they, they bring up uh, the, the um, vacate the chair rule where mm-hmm. they would uh, be able to call for a vote of whether or not he can remain as speaker. And I said, you know what? That, I think never. Because he'll he'll do whatever they want all the time. Right. So um, let's talk about uh, the back and forth that I've been having with some of my listeners. And you write about this over at Down With Tyranny. Uh, Is there something progressives in Congress could learn from the fascists? How about winning tactics? So we look at those 20 far right bozos who are willing to shut down the entire legislative branch over, I I don't even know what uh, they were fighting for. And yet we can't fight. They're fighting for something very important. They want to be able to defund or privatize, I should say, social security and Medicare. That's what this fight is about. That that's what they want. So there, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tactic that you, you, you know, you have to do this in order to get to this. And, and ultimately, what they want to do is get rid of Social Security and uh, Medicare and Medicaid. And so they've do, been fighting for that. for And so where are our 20 on our side who are? Uh, let me. For, for, half, I'm sorry. I'll take a half dozen. <laughs> take a half dozen. Is it smart? A lot of people wrote to me saying uh, you, you, you want, uh, we want adults. We want to be adults. We have to keep the government functioning. What you're suggesting is childish. It's a temper tantrum. You don't get things done that way. And really, I, they, look at, look what, um, look at the fascist fringe of the GOP just got done. So would you be willing to support a dozen Democrats who say, uh, we're going to we're going to shut down the legislative branch unless you give us Medicare for all. Is is that immoral? Is that childlike? Is that a temper tantrum to find 12 Democrats who say there's nothing more important than Medicare for all and no wars, no funding for wars. Screw the bond market. We don't care. No Medicare for all. If you don't shut down the health insurance companies, no legislative branch. It, it, that's not the way it goes. It's like um, we want Medicare for all. You want um, you want wars. We'll vote for your wars if you give us Medicare for all. So it's not like we'll shut down. It's like you know they'll shut down. 
You know, you're not going to shut down. You don't have the power to shut down. They'll shut down by not giving Medicare for all. Will I support that? Yes, I, I totally support that. And I look for candidates who might possibly do that. Are there candidates who are doing that so far? Not. But we'll see what happens now because Biden is going to make some deals uh, with the Republicans. And let's see how, how horrible those deals are. And, um, and let's see if... Um, you know, if they're going to, I, I mean, I predict that there will be Democrats who won't go along with those deals. I, I don't know that there'll be enough of them, but there'll be some. What is wrong? Uh, this, I'm, I'm really asking you this because I was wrestling with this over the weekend and going back and forth. And I was getting I was getting a little emotional with some people, you know, shut it all down. You know, uh, I believe it when I say it, any any government that cannot provide Medicare for all. Uh, is not worth keeping open. And what are you so afraid of if the government shuts down? So that's coming from, I'm being emotional. But I kind of mean mm -hmm. that. I, I, that what happens if you shut down the legislative branch? If if you do what Matt Gates did, if you do what Boebert did, and you just plant your feet and say, no, no, it's not going to happen. Eventually, you say they will compromise. They'll, they'll say these people mean business. J j the Progressive Caucus means business. We have to deal with them. That's what you're saying. Yes. That's exactly what you're saying. And yet they don't. They don't. Sorry? And yet they don't. They don't do that, do they? They don't. They, the squad... Uh, the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, you know, who I like, they, 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 they define themselves. First of all, even if, if Pramila wanted to do that, uh, and I don't know that she does, but even if she did want to, she, her caucus wouldn't follow her. They, they, you know, she wouldn't remain chair very long. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that the, the Progressive Caucus is you know uh, not that progressive. I mean, it, you know, they're more progressive than uh, you know other others in Congress, but it's not the kind of progressive that uh, we wish they would be. Right. And is there any other caucus like a Freedom Caucus that progressives have that could be more? No, I mean, there's the uh, there's a squad. You know, that's the most progressive part of. The Progressive Caucus, and they've even even the, even the squad. I'm a little bit nervous that they're going to start taking in some of some of these phonies who who aren't progressive at all. You know, people. Uh, you know, they're they're already talking about some of the um, the worst people who have uh, who have been elected. Okay, um, so you you know people like what's his name, um, uh, that guy from Orlando. Uh, uh, Maxwell Frost. Right. He's one of he's one of the real bad ones, and they're they're already like I don't know that he'll ever get in the squad, but but he's already in the in the in the Progressive Caucus, and then uh, you know the, another one terrible who, who this is this is a guy uh, he was mayor of Long Beach, Robert Garcia, he was uh, a Republican for most of his life, not just a passive Republican. He he started two Republican clubs in, in Long Beach. He was a he was the West Coast coordinator for George W. Bush when he was running. This is a really bad guy. And now 
that, uh, you know, you, you have to be a progressive in order to win elections in the Long Beach. Suddenly he's, he's not just a Democrat, he's a progressive. A year ago, he was like, he was the last mayor in America to be fighting for um, incinerators that were killing people with, with bad air. That, that, that was his big fight. He wanted right. to keep an incinerator open. And, uh, and now he's suddenly uh, in the Progressive Caucus. I mean, he's already in the caucus. God forbid he'll, they'll put him in the, uh, in the squad, too. I don't think they will, but they could, because some of the people in the squad, they just elected him to be president of the, the Democratic president of the freshman class, this clown I'm talking about, this Republican. He's now the Democratic president of the freshman class. So, you know, and when you talk to some of these congressmen, you tell them, did you know he was a Republican? No. Hmm. Did you know he was fighting to keep a, to keep a, an incinerator open? No. He's a really nice guy. I had no idea. Right. Well, over at Down with Tyranny, you give some names of some newly elected Democratic Congress people. Summer Lee from Pennsylvania, Greg Kassar from Texas. Hey, he's great. You just named the two great ones. And maybe Becca Ballant from Vermont. Marie. She might be as well. I don't know her. I, I've never spoken with her, so I, so I don't know. I've heard good things about her, but that doesn't mean that she's good. I just heard good things about her. So we should pay attention to Summer Lee from Pennsylvania yes. and Greg Kassar from Texas. Maybe Becca, ba uh, Becca Ballant, Marie Glusen. Yeah, I have a feeling to be good. I, I have a feeling Becca's going to be good. I don't, I don't know. I have, to get to, I have to get to know her first, but I, I have a good feeling about her. Chris Deluzio of Pennsylvania. I do know Chris, um, and we'll see. You know, he's, he's in a very difficult district. I mean, this is a guy who won an R plus one district. So we'll see if he's going to be as progressive as he really is. In other words, I know where his heart is. Let's see how, we, let's see how he is in, when it comes to governance. And I don't know the answer to that. I put him in, uh, in that list because I feel good about him. Right. Delia Ramirez of Illinois. Yeah. So, I, again, I, I haven't talked to her, and I just heard from mutual friends of ours that she's great. I, I'm hearing all good stuff about her. And, and my tendency is to want to believe that. And Jill Takuda of Hawaii. Yeah. I don't know why I put her <laughs> name in. But, again, you know, people are telling me she's good, and she might be, and we'll see. Okay. I mean... Some of the ones who I didn't include, I know are terrible. I, and I didn't want her to be in the same, in the same category as people like Robert, um, uh, Robert Garcia, who's right. awful. Before you go, how's, how's the rice? What, what do you tell everybody what you're the making? The rice? Yeah, what are you making? Oh, I'm making a very amazing dinner tonight. Absolutely amazing. I, I got carried away at around four in the morning and started cooking. And as you hear, I'm still doing it. So... Uh, tomato soup, like, you know, from scratch, you know, right from heirloom and Roma tomatoes and, um, like very creamy. And, and how do you get it creamy, Howie? Well, I, I use, uh, oat milk and, and, and that makes it creamy. It's completely delicious. Okay. So there's that. Then I made, a, I made a cabbage salad. Do you, you know cabbage salad? I had cab. I made a, ca I swear to God, I made a cabbage salad today with tofu. I swear to you. Fantastic. So Asian, an Asian uh, cabbage salad. Red cabbage. I, yeah. I considered using tofu also, but I, in the end, I decided not to. But, uh, you know, it, it's just 
just so great. I mean, it, it, you know, you cut the cabbage really, really thin and you cut the red pepper really, really thin and you cut the red onions really, really thin. And I made it an amazing, um, uh, dressing, uh, like a, a sesame oil, uh, uh, dressing. Wow. So, so that's the second course. And then after that, I have, uh, like dirty rice. So what's dirty rice? It's, it, which you cook the rice with, um, lentils that have soaked all day or all night and all day in, um, it, well, in water and garlic. Hmm. So, so that's now. And then all, over that, I'm going to be uh, serving a uh, carrots and uh, ezeki, which is a kind of seaweed, like black stringy seaweed. So carrots and ezeki and onion, that's the, the vegetable course. Fantastic. And that's dessert. And I, and I, and I baked uh, chocolate chip cookies. Vegan chocolate chip cookies. Of course, vegan. Right, right. Okay, before you go, Brazil, uh, what was the, your friend said, what was the joke your friend said? I retweeted it. It was very funny. Yes, my friend Harry. You know Harry? Maybe. Harry said, um, oh, he listens to the show. Oh, he must be so excited right now. He just said his name. Harry said, uh, Trump may sue the uh, Brazilian um, uh, insurrectionist for the copyright infringement. <laughs> what is the role uh, Republicans played in that insurrection? We know Steve Bannon had something to do with it, right? Well, Steve Bannon has been encouraging it on his uh, podcast uh, from the you know since the day after uh, Lula won, he's been carrying on about it. But um, Jason Miller, one of the Trump aides actually was, uh, I don't know if he was arrested, but he was definitely not permitted to leave. He, he was in uh, Brasilia. Oh, right. And, worked, and they, they caught him at the airport. Right. So I, I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to watch for that. And maybe there's a development and maybe they let him go by now, or maybe they're still holding him, or, you know, maybe they put a gun to his forehead and someone pulled it by accident. Right. But he, um, <laughs> Right. We talked about I I talked about Jason Miller earlier, and I mentioned that the the son, Bolsonaro's son, met with Jason Miller in America. But I completely forgot that he he was detained in Brazil. Lula Lula is going to handle this a little differently, we hope, than Joe Biden. Well, he is handling it differently already. The last time. I look, they had already arrested 4,000 people within 24 hours. So, you know, they didn't let them all go home to their villages and towns uh, and then have to, like, look for them for the next two years. They arrested them that day. So there were 4,000 in some kind of um, detention right now. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they're not going to shoot all of them, but they, they should shoot some of them because then they won't do it again. And he has some special powers now that are not quite dictatorial, but authoritarian that that will last for about a month. He's running the police now, Lula, right? Well, the problem was the federal district um, of Brasilia, they had, um, you know, the the governor and uh, and his chief of um, uh, security were were cooperating with the um, insurrectionists and they fired them both. Right. It, uh, well, well I, this guy is fired. The other guy is suspended. Right, right. 
Well, as they say in Brazil, looking at America, can it happen here? It's like they, I remember a time when we would look at Brazil and, and say, could that happen here? And we, uh, they, anyway, uh, yeah. Is stability overrated? Not, I, I'm not advocating violence, but Americans seem intoxicated by stability. This fear that don't rock the boat, this, this, the, the, the most powerful, wealthiest country in the history of civilization. If, if you rock the boat, the whole thing collapses. You can rock the boat here in the United States, can't you? Like well, the way we just saw what happened. Right wing rocked the boat. They rocked the boat big time and got everything they asked for. Right. A little. Everything. The thing. They got it all. Right. And, and, but the lefties you know, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the you boat. You know that song by the Hughes Corporation? Rock the boat. Our love is like a ship on the ocean. Yes. Don't rock the boat. Rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. <laughs> you, know, you should be playing that as, as our uh, exit music. I don't, I don't think they were singing about politics. I think they were singing about one specific little man in a boat. That was always what I thought. They were just singing about one little man <laughs> in the boat. Did you work with them? No. They were not. They I were bubblegum. I was working in those days. I was like a child. <laughs> Did you ever work with a bubblegum band that just you couldn't help yourself? They, they, they were just, you knew they, they, they wrote catchy hooks, but they were, they had no depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, uh, well, okay, well, maybe the music didn't have depth, but, but, but look, don't rock the boat, baby. That has depth. Yeah. It just play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Ramones. I, yeah, I, I worked with a couple of artists like, like that. I mean, it wasn't, that it was, the reprise didn't have them, but, uh, you know, Seymour every now and then at Sire would sign someone like that for whatever reason. How close were you to the Ramones? Pretty close. Because when you I listen, I closer with them than anyone else in rec any record company was. You know, I knew them from before I worked for their their label, and I was a big advocate for them, helping them to get gigs in San Francisco, having them on the radio, uh, writing about them. So you know, they saw me as an ally. And then when I came to work for uh, Sire, they they were happy. Uh, you know, I was unfortunately I was unable to to uh, break them. They were just a band that was never going to break. Although, you know, they now they're well known worldwide and sell ton, you know, even though they're all dead, uh, tons of uh, right. merchandise of theirs sell. Their, their estates are worth more than they were ever worth when the guys were alive. And they wrote short little songs that had hooks, right? They, yes. they, they knew what they were doing. They were absolutely Howie Klein. They were great. Yeah. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, and he writes over Down With Tyranny, which everybody should be reading. Who are the candidates that you want us to send money to? Lucas Kuntz. He's running for Senate uh, against that guy who ran away, uh, the fist-pumping uh, guy in Missouri. Holly. Uh, Holly. Right, Josh Hawley. He's so so. He's uh, Lucas Kuntz is running for Senate against him. Great candidate, amazing. I mean, everyone who's seeing his video is saying this is the new standard for uh, for announcement videos. It's like so amazingly Great. good. Well, and if you haven't, 
that video, go to Down With Tyranny, take a look at the video. It's on a couple of different pages. And uh, hear that? I know you have to go. I know you have to go. But this guy, his his name is Mike Rogers. And you're saying he has- Mike Rogers is the guy with with the wig, yes. I cannot believe. Now, somebody told me that the head of CPAC, Matt Schlapp, Yes, he's he's a homo. Yes, we know that. Oh, I I heard he was into women. That was the rumor I heard. <laughs> he, put his hands on, he put his hands on, on a man off his crotch. And like, I know, I know. I was making a joke. Is he done? Uh, no, he's a Republican. He can go on forever. He could do it ten times unless they have a picture. Nothing happens. So I'm literally holding, and I've got somebody on the other line now. Goodbye. Thank you, Howie Klein. Bye. Follow Howie Klein over Down With Tyranny on Twitter. His handle is at Down With Tyranny. Down With Tyranny. Read him every day over at Down With Tyranny. It's great. I mean, if you, it's a civics course, but it's salacious. It's delicious. Read Down With Tyranny every day and donate to the candidates who Howie tells you to donate too, because he's always right. Howie Klein is always right. Well, if you've been enjoying these episodes, let me ask you to subscribe to this channel and hit the like button and go to my website to sign up for office hours. We do office hours every Friday night at 8 p.m. I'm there for the first hour, two hours. I talk to all my listeners. I, You can air your grievances as People usually do. And uh, so come to office hours. It's every Friday night at 8 p.m. All you need is Zoom. Go to my website for the link. Or what you can do is subscribe to my newsletter. It includes the link to Friday night's office hours. And the best way to subscribe to my newsletter is by going to my website. I think that cover co- covers it all. And I've got this new subscribe button. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right and buckle in real time. You should probably push record. So it's I just record. Did. Very good. I just did. You're learning. I am. That's the voice of Dan Frankenberger. Nothing gets done. Here without Dan Frankenberger. And look who came crawling back to Papa. Hi, Papa. Can I I have uh, $64,000 to pay for school? Yes, you can. Leah McEnany joins us. And you can see him at the Hollywood Improv in the lab starting Wednesday, February 22nd. He's going to be doing a monthly show at the Improv called Hell Yeah. At the Hollywood Improv in the lab, he is also writing a newsletter over at Substack. Go to writeliam.com, W-R-I-T-E-L-I-A-M.com, or writeliam, R-I-G-H-T-L-I-M.com, to read his newsletter and support this brilliant filmmaker. The noise you hear in the back <laughs> is that of USC where Liam is attending film school. Hello, Liam. 
Hi, and I'm I'm wearing my uh my film nerd sweatshirt. Thelma Shoemaker. Yeah. Who's uh Marty Scorsese's editor. Oh, really? I call him Marty because we're really good friends. Wow. Um we're call her Thelmy? We're both from Queens, New York. By the way, um, now with your new format, the listeners can't watch you between segments. Uh, but when I tuned into Zoom, uh, literally as I tuned in, David went, ooh, cookies. And then I got to watch him spend approximately two and a half minutes trying to open a package of cookies, well, which I'm now getting to watch him eat. At my age, opening the cookies takes a little longer. And right. so, so does the chewing and the <laughs> digestion, you know. Very professional. You're at the home. You know, what's great is now you can schedule when you're filming. So you don't have to be on camera eating while while we're talking. I miss doing it live because it forced me to finish everything. Now we do it. We've we've kind of gone. Right. It's a hybrid. We do some things live. Right. things taped and this is taped you found a way to podcast all day every day and not have to deal with your life anymore no actually i'm trying to have a life right i found six to seven hours straight it was a little rough <laughs> so tell how's film school oh well, first of all say hi to leslie for me please i don't know who you're talking about okay Oh, I used her name. I'm sorry. Uh, film school is good. Uh, we just had our first class back today. Um, I'm taking a history of international cinema class um, post-World War II. So, and we're watching a movie every week and then having a discussion about the movie that we watched and its relation to like world cinema. So the first movie we watched uh, was from an international filmmaker named Jordan Peele called Get Out. Really? Really. And that was made after World War II. That was made after World War II. Uh, so, you know, it's great, great world. And, and how much are you paying for this education? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, but... Um, we are. I mean, Get Out is a great movie, and I love Jordan Peele. Right. Uh, but I saw it for $15, not $15,000. Well, to be fair, in the, our next class, we're going to watch uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, and then we're going to watch uh, The Bicycle Thief. But it's just an interesting choice to kick off our international cinema class. Interna I guess it would be international. Uh, Jordan Peele would be international because America is part of the world. How do you justify? How is that an internet? How is that a foreign film? It's that is such a good question. And is my thought when I read the syllabus a couple of days ago was I just want to get the easiest A possible. So I'm not rocking the boat by asking a lot of questions. Okay. And get out. Great movie. <laughs> Great movie. Honestly. And actually it's the second time I've seen it. Uh and it, it gets it's actually better the second time I saw it. Why? You know, because the first time you see it, you're just kind of carried along by the momentum of the story, right? Right. And you're like, uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of twists and turns. 
And then the second time I saw it, um, I could see all the ways that Jordan Peele was kind of planting uh, the, the seeds of the story so that nothing was like came out of left field, even though you weren't really looking for it. Like there were a lot of things the second time around where you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Well, that's foreshadowing. That's foreshadowing. Um, you know, his best friend is played by Lil Rel. Uh, the, the main character's best friend is played by Lil Rel, who halfway through um, just lays out the whole story, like the whole plot. But because it's a funny scene and he's joking around, you don't take it seriously. And it's something that I didn't notice the first time I watched it. Right. Right. The Bicycle Thief. Bicycle Thief by Victor Vittorio, right? And what is the difference between going to USC film school and getting the Criterion app? Um, well, the answer to that is uh, if you <laughs> Criterion does have an alumni network that's oh. extremely valuable to tap into. Do you have the Criterion app? I actually do, yeah. I, I I have a card that that signifies I'm a founding member of Criterion Channel. So the thing with Criterion is I sign <clears throat> for it like every right. three years. I get the Criterion app, and then I spend all day uh, skimming, looking for movies to watch, and working on my queue. And I'm too right. working on my queue to ever actually commit three hours to a movie that I know I should watch, but I can't. The classic movies gets me all the time. I'm always able to find something on Turner classic movies. Well, I'm under the age of 70, so I don't have cable. Um, you don't need cable to watch Turner classic movies. You don't? Well, you have to be a cable subscriber to get the app. Well, or you might know somebody. Well, yeah, I don't know Ted Turner, so I, I don't have the in that you do. No, I'm just saying there might be somebody who shares with me. Oh, your girlfriend. Yeah. There might be a Hulu subscription that includes Turner Classic Movies. Does it really? I, th I, I have Hulu. Some, somehow I'm able to watch Turner Classic Movies. I will say I do have the YouTube TV app and I can watch TCM that way. But actually, the nice thing is because I'm a professional in entertainment, this is all tax deductible. Good. So my problem is I have all the apps, uh, which means that I actually spend a lot of my time. I literally spend 45 minutes just figuring out which app I'm in the mood to watch a movie from first. And then I spend an hour scrolling through it, looking for something I'm in the mood for. And then it turns out that it's like, I only want to watch something I've watched 20 times before. Right. So I watched, I got hooked during the Christmas holidays, two series, uh -huh. the A&E series about Hugh Hefner. Oh, my, you know, it's so funny. My one of my, I have a really good friend whose girlfriend works on that. So we had brunch a couple of weeks ago and, and she told me all about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I, now I want to. This is the this isn't the the hagiography. There, there was there's one series about Hefner that portrays him in a favorable light. No, this is the other one that she works well, on. Well, is it are they continuing it or is it because? Yeah, the, the problem right now is so if your listeners haven't watched it. It's just basically a laundry list of women who have been abused by Hugh Hefner. 
And it's just like every episode is like another biography of a woman who's abused by Hugh Hefner. So, um, so I actually met a woman who posed for Playboy in the 90s, and she's from Russia. She was 90 and she posed for Playboy? <laughs> yeah, your mom. You remember. Oh, yeah. oh, nice. My mom from Russia. My other mom from Russia. Yes. No, what, what she was telling me was she, she grew up when she grew up in Russia. She uh, they were like now, she, I heard in Russia, Playboy poses for you. <laughs> Isn't that how it was? Dude, that's such a great joke. What? That's such a great joke. Go I ahead. actually met I met Yakov. Nice guy. Right. He is. He's a nice guy. And Yakov uh, is Russian for Jackoff. <laughs> jerk off actually no he's a very sweet guy and smirnoff is russian for smirnoff yeah uh now he was I, i've never met him i hear he's a very sweet guy and he's very funny and yeah so, so uh, go t- talk to me about you hefner because oh well, okay so wait let me finish telling this so this woman was telling me that um that when she was a kid, she and her family were eating cat food out of the can. And they didn't know, like, she and her sisters didn't know it was cat food until they watched a Miamix commercial one day. And they're like, wait a second, what? This is what we're so eating. Sad. They didn't have plates and a fork. <laughs> they well, it's like they would open the plate, open the can, dump it on the plate. So she went. Oh, so, so, oh wait, wait, wait. So they ate it out of, from a plate. <laughs> they actually ate it from a bowl on the floor. Um, that's bad. And that was in Russia. That was in Russia. So she uh, then but their cats ate Chateaubriand. That was how effed up the <laughs> Soviet Union was. So in the nineties, she flew to the U.S. to pose for Playboy. And what my friend's girlfriend was telling me was that that's exactly the kind of person that play that Hugh Hefner would prey on, like these women who. Did have came from bad situations, right? And their only way out, they felt, was to pose for Playboy, and he would just kind of like then take advantage of them, right? And that's kind of what the series is about. Well, that's what all groomers and predators do. They 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 look for women without a father, mm-hmm. and if I'm not trying to be, if you look at the Catholic priests, they would always zero in on the young boy whose father either died or abandoned them. Well, that's how you got me as a guest on the show today. Yes, it was. Yes. Your father passed away and I said, yeah. I'll be your father. <laughs> come, come sit. Sit on. No, it's it's. And then and then when I said no, you started yelling at me until I, I felt like shit and said yes. Wow. The, did you watch the Hugh Hefner documentary? No, I haven't watched it yet. But like I said, now I want to watch the series. Because it sounds, yeah, it sounds 12, hot. It's 12, well, it's 12 <laughs> to 13 episodes, which I couldn't watch when it was on cable because of the commercials. Right. right? I have, I watched it as. Those commercials would come on mid-stroke. Yes. And uh, and at my age, you don't mean masturbate. <laughs> so watching it without the commercials. Right. It, it's it's an amazing piece of work, especially because we can't imagine how evil 
these people are. And they do it right in the open. It's He did it right in the open where I have scantily clad women who live in this house and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're branding free sex and orgies mm-hmm. and America went, okay, but he's not raping anybody. He's not drugging these women. No, he's raping them. He's drugging them. You know, I can, I consider myself like sharp and cynical, but I bought into that whole Hugh Hefner persona where it was just like these women were swept away by his charm. Yeah. I I think, well, he's a pimp. Yeah. And you watch those, you watch that series on A&E and you realize he trafficked women in Hollywood. He wanted to be a movie producer. He wanted access to all the power brokers. The only way he could do that was by either giving them drugs uh-huh. or, or, or hot young women. And, and, then- and they, and they, <clears throat> he gets off. This is what the documentary does. That's so chilling. He gets off on taking their lights out that he loved finding a farm girl, bringing her to Los Angeles and watching her lights go out and then discarding her. He got off on that, that there are men. uh, And I've had bosses like that. Yeah. You know, they hire you and they, they build you up and then they just, they keep you till you let you win a few Emmys. Yeah. But they want to they want to dim they want to dim your pilot light that that spark that keeps you going. It's really evil. There you have to it was just really bad guy and I had no idea how I mean a rapist. And, and it so, makes makes sense that uh you know Bill Cosby was there all the time. Absolutely. Like all the time. Yep. And some nasty stuff went down. Mhm violent apparently jim brown also violently raped a woman or a couple i didn't know about that yeah um and and you Hefner was videotaping everybody having sex he was he was jeffrey epstein every room in the in in the in the mansion was bugged and was he was that black for blackmail or just for personal? Well, what did Jeffrey Epstein use it for? Yeah, there yeah. was, for example, Tony Curtis uh-huh. in the series. Tony Curtis was a drunk, and he would have sex at the mansion. His lawyers, they showed the lawyers, the letters that the lawyers wrote, demanding that Hefner turn over the tapes of Tony Curtis having sex with these bunnies. Tony was very upset. But Sandra, Sandra Theodore's interviewed. I, I remember Sandra Theodore. I don't know who that is. Like, well, you know, everybody has their favorites. And then, you know, she's talks about being Hef's girlfriend for six years and what she saw him do. And, Mm-hmm. You know, he not, he not only raped women, but he made other people complicit. Right. 
because he would do it in front of other people and nobody would say anything. And so that makes you the accessory during the fact, you know, you know, a rape is going on. But, but yeah, but you risk losing access. Money, security, a place to live. Yeah. Um, and it has the veneer of it being corporate and successful. And you think, well, how can this be illegal? It's it's a professional operation. I, I remember peeing next to Hugh Hefner in a men's room at CBS. And I, I'll never forget this. I'm sta standing peeing and I hear and he spits in the urinal. And I don't know who uh -huh. it was. I, I think that's disgusting to stand next to somebody and just spit into the urinal while you're peeing. And right. Look over at Hugh Hefner, and I it must have been like fifteen years, twenty years ago. He was repulsive, and he made you complicit in that. He made me complicit. Who have you like, peed next to? George Clooney. And you know what? It made yeah. me incredibly pee shy. Uh, so then I was like, "Well, I'll just wait for George Clooney to finish, so that then I can go pee at the urinal." Uh, so then I stood by the sink and waited for him. And then I realized that, oh, now I'm just standing here by in a bathroom watching George Clooney try to pee. And I was like, well, that's no good. And I was like, well, I should go to a stall, except now this is so weird and creepy and awkward. I have to leave. So I just left. But yeah, yeah no, I can't tell you the rest of that because uh, I didn't directly witness it. But I heard something funny that, ha that happened later that night. I'll tell you off the air. Is it <clears throat> George Clooney? It does. I like George Clooney. I love George Clooney. I do. Um, he's just, I, I think he's cool. He knows exactly who he is. He And his politics are great. And I love how he says, okay, if the paparazzi is going to follow me, you're going to Sudan. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's you want to follow me? I, I think, uh, and he, I hear he's great to his friends. I heard he gave all his friends a million dollars. Yeah, and uh, he gave all his enemies a copy of uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> was it that bad? It was that bad. Really? Yeah. Well, but, he um, was a horrible actor on ER. He learned how to act because he's he, a great movie star yes he is he kept he learned to stop shaking his head and uh -huh. he just became but i thought he was absolutely horrible uh, on er you know what's funny is um he was in a movie called return of the killer tomatoes and then you go i went back and watched it again after i realized he was in it and i was like oh yeah this is why i don't remember he was in it because he just wasn't memorable but he has that undeniable movie star charisma I watched Kevin Costner's first movie, a uh, really great little indie comedy. I can't remember what it was called, but it was made by a USC. Dances with Wolves? No, that wasn't his first I'm movie. I'm joking. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, the you see, God, I have to look it up because uh, I do recommend people watch it. Um. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm like Googling during your 
podcast, but I really just like have to have to know the answer to this. But the thing is, like, he really pops out like the everyone else in the movie is great, like really like it's fun to watch and everything like that. Uh, but this is his first starring role and it was called. Uh, fuck, I can't find it. Oh, fuck, maybe I, I find it. Maybe, oh, good. Fandango. 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 It's on Fandango. <laughs> but anyway, my point is like he's extremely young and you can already see, oh, this guy's not great yet, but he's a movie star already. Like just like just ever like just he's all you want to watch when he's on screen. And when he's not on screen, you're waiting for him to be back on screen again. Isn't the secret to being a movie star? And I, by the way, I always regret that I decided to be a failed stand-up comic instead of a leading man looking back yeah. I, I always wanted to be a, a comedian who aged out of the business and had right. a podcast that was always my goal <laughs> well it's too bad because you've got the head of hair for it thank you uh, it's growing in a jar in your closet but uh, i uh the uh i should have been a matinee idol like George Clooney. I don't know why I didn't figure no, that out. No, no, no. You, mis, you mispronounced that. You should have been a manatee model. Oh, a manatee model. By the way, manatee. that gives away my age. What's Mat that? A matinee idol. Not really. Unless you, unless, like, unless you were I... watching Errol Flynn in first run movies, I don't think you have to worry about that. What does a matinee idol mean? That That women would sneak off while their husbands were at work for the matinee? To well, I, I believe when they were using that term, uh, women were encouraged not to work. That's how long ago it was. Right. And they would sneak off while their husbands were at work. Well, they wouldn't have to sneak off because their husbands were at work. And then they would just take $5 and go see these uh, plays. The matinees. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, what is your favorite movie right now? What do you watch? Is there a movie you watch over and over again? Maltese Falcon. Okay. Uh, if you've ever seen it, stars Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart. Um, a little more information, please. <laughs> Probably the, in my estimation, uh -huh. my favorite actor of all time. Well, that really does show your age then. I just, I think <clears throat> able to be simultaneously sexy and horrifically ugly at the same time. He was never afraid to, to portray himself. Like in the African Queen, he's so hideous in that. He's so good. And uh, great. Yeah. But the really un. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> I always confuse the two. Oh, the leading man of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he, he, you're right. Treasure Sierra Madre. He's yeah. like just an ugly, horrific character in that. Ugly. It's just hideous. Yeah. And, and then I watched another movie with and him. I'm not being mean. I mean, that is the role. I mean, that's how he plays it. That's the way well, they shot him. And Well, also, I mean, he was a war he was under contract at Warner's, right? And so they had him originally as like kind of their go-to heavy. And he he broke into the mainstream by playing anti-heroes. I think actually the Maltese Falcon was his breakthrough role, right? And, and so Green Street played the heavy in the Maltese. 
played that. Oh, no, no, he, no, no, uh, no. Wait, wait, let me do the joke. Let me do the joke. Okay. Uh, fuck, I'm forgetting his name. God damn it. Joel Peter Cairo. Lurie. What's that? Peter Laurie? Peter Laurie was the heavy. Sydney Greenstreet was the extremely heavy. <laughs> okay. And it's glad- that kind of comedy that you can see at the improv. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sorry. actually, uh, speaking of my Substack and speaking of Bill Cosby, that's like kind of the subject of this essay I wrote this week. I don't know if you've read my Substack. Of course. Before. Yeah. Right, Liam. Right, Liam.com. But I, I taught like basically, have you ever read uh, the. Uh, Bob Dylan has a new book out called Philosophy of Modern Song. Right. He just writes like mini essays about all the songs that he likes. And I was like, that's something I want to do for my sub stack is like write essay, like mini essays about comedy that inspired me. And then that got me just thinking about like, you know, Bill Cosby and Woody Allen were these two big heroes for me growing up. Like people that like these were two men I really aspired to be like. Right. And Roman, you also liked Roman Polanski, <laughs> didn't you? And Jerry Lee Lewis and Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. What is the common denominator? I, I just can't <laughs> figure. I can't see it. Here's the thing about here's yeah, the thing about Bill Co- uh, Woody Allen, right? Is like, I'm not a fan of his movies, but I just really admire the way he lives his life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like your post and it won't let me. Well, it knows you're not sincere, but my, but anyway, my point is just like what I wrote this essay about is just about what happens when someone like Bill Cosby, who really helped shape my personality and the fact that I want to do stand up, and someone like Woody Allen, you know, and suddenly you're finding out these horrific things that they may have done. You know, I mean, in, in Cosby's case, he definitely did it. You know, Refresh my memory. Did what, what did Cosby do again? Um, he did a movie. He did a movie called Ghost Dead. And, oh, okay. I was listening to Chevy Chase on Fly <clears throat> on the Wall, Dave uh-huh. and Dana Carvey's podcast. Right. I'm in love with Chevy Chase. I I, I think he is so effing. The older he got, and he just goes into full train wreck. Yes. And, and it's so he just does not give a shit. Yeah, it's and, so funny. He, he was on Bill Maher's podcast. Yeah, Bill Maher. Bill Maher was like, "So I see you're you're got a movie with uh, Dan Aykroyd. You're working." He's like, "What? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about." Like he just so doesn't give a shit about it. That he's like, "Oh yeah, I made a movie with Dan Aykroyd this year." He is doing the ultimate dance. <clears throat> he, he what he is doing. Uh-huh. He knows how to torture his loved ones. Right. And he and he it I can just see once I listened to, to Chevy Chase on Fly on the Wall, I, I just said, I want to do this. I want to talk to my kids and my loved ones exactly the way it's playing stupid and get it's so effing funny. You just play stupid. So they were the hardest I've laughed in months. They were talking about all the great people on SNL. And somebody brings up Phil Hartman and Chevy Chase says, yeah, he was great. How how did he die again? (laughs) 
<laughs> and that to me is, I mean, I fell off my chair because it's so evil to say, how did he die again? Well, you know, David, if you want to be like Chevy Chase, I've got good news for you. Um, yeah. Everyone who's worked with you already hates you. That's so true. you're like 90% of the way there. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a flip side to being that kind of funny is like just people hate him like he doesn't have friends. Well, I'm already there. Yeah. Do you ever watch the Comedy Central roasted? Did you write on the Comedy Central roast of Chevy Chase? No, but I heard that was a train wreck. But nobody who worked with him showed up except Beverly D'Angelo. Like it was just all comedians he'd never met before. Right. And all of them just shitting on him. Were you surprised to find out? What a closely kept secret it was that Bill Murray's a danger to the community. You know, that's I knew he was like, I've heard stories that he was difficult, but that's something I never heard about. But the, the news stories coming out, uh-huh. he might be done, right? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, what's done anymore? You know, like there was a, there was a time when like Chris D'Elia would have been drummed out of the comedy business by now. Oh, just for not being funny. Wow. Is he back in the business? Yeah, he's still touring. He's not, he never really left. He's got podcast. Like his podcasts are still going. His fans still love him. There's there's no like stopping him. Yeah, but 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 you can't work for corporate. You can't work for a corporation. No I mean, corporation but, is going to hire him. Same thing with Louis. Uh huh. You don't think Louis ever going to come back? I don't know. I, I think the, the question is, does Louis need to come back or does Crystalia need to come back or uh, Tony uh, Broadbent? Who was the guy who made fun of the Asian comedian? Keith oh, Clark. Shane Gillis. Well, no, he, no, no. It, well, yeah, Shane Gillis and Tony Hinchcliffe. Tony Hinchcliffe. I forgot all about Tony Hinchcliffe. The, they come the, back in that cancel culture world where you've been canceled but i don't know if you come back for you know i don't know if you get on the big corporate platforms i mean here's the thing i um and this is again like what do you do right my friend made a movie with louis ck last year called fourth of july and i was in new york when he was screen like premiering it at the and i said okay i'll go you know, and the thing is, Louis C.K. was still able to make a movie that he funded himself. Mm-hmm. But when it came time to distribute it, he could only really find distribution on his own website through his own platform to his own fans. And so the question is, is that enough to keep like, is that still a viable business model for him? Yes. You know, in terms of like, he's not really going to be able to find new fans because he's not getting on TV anymore. And, you know, like Lionsgate isn't going to distribute his movies or, or Sony or whatever. But I understand he unloaded a couple million dollar homes that he has. So I but he did it. He did it in a hotel room against their yeah. will. Yeah. So I don't want to get into the conversation about. <clears throat> I mean. I don't if he masturbated publicly. Mm hmm. So it's well, anyway, it, it, 
there are degrees of abuse. Uh-huh. I, I always thought he would come back. No, I thought he would come on his back. No, I thought he would come back. I, I well, thought that he would find. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't found a way back. Well, here's the thing. I knew a lot of people who just publicly danced on his grave and tagged him on Twitter and just kind of like, and I just said, you know, man, I I just, I don't think that's the right move with this guy. You know, because I, I don't think he's going to go away. I think he's like too determined to be. Why, yeah, but yeah, I mean, but if if you had a problem where you would whip it out and masturbate, if which he seems to have had, right? And we all knew about it, right? Well, I didn't know about it. Yeah, there were there were rumors that he. So we're maybe we're not hearing the whole story. There may be more to it, because it seems to me that if you're caught, like Jeffrey Tubin was able to find his way back for jerking off on. Oh, I think that's because people could relate to it, quite honestly. But uh, there was a weird couple of years on Zoom. But, the, you know, the thing is, I have a, I'm I'm friends with one of uh, the women that stepped forward and talked about Louie in the New York Times article. And she honestly, obviously, she wasn't happy with Louie and she but she was even more unhappy afterwards with Dave Chappelle for going around the country and saying on his special and saying in his tour that she was yeah, too brittle right. to work in, yeah. in show business, you know? Yeah. And um, and it was interesting was I've talked about it. She's like, yeah, you know, I talked to Louie again. And, you know, it's like I could forgive him this and that. And she's like more mad at Chappelle and is like more like I, I don't ever want to hear from Chappelle again. Is she brittle? No, I mean, you know, she's doing she, comedy. She uh, is doing stand up now. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, I mean, you, nobody. You, one of the things I know is you have no right to tell somebody they can't be offended. Right. And you can't tell somebody they can't be traumatized. Right. Uh, what doesn't seem traumatic to you or me is traumatic to others. That's exactly right. And so, um, you know, the question is, what's interesting to me is that what Chappelle's problem was that these women stepped forward and derailed Louis C.K.'s career. And his angle was these people took Louis's uh, job away from him. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't like is what he did wrong is what he did right. Or even like, did he do it? Or are these people lying? It was they should not have snitched and they should not have reported him. Right. Right. I mean, it's a tough thing. I mean, the problem is it's a business full of people who are who like really in order to even want to do this, you kind of have to be nuts. Right. And so, like, what's the what's the right kind of nuts? and What's the wrong kind of nuts? Well, don't play with your nuts. That's all. <laughs> it's just don't play with your nuts. Uh, yeah. And then you watch the Hugh Hefner 
Right. And you realize this shit has been going on and it's got to end. You know, there has to be zero tolerance towards it. So where are you now? You're in a library, an office? Where are you? I'm on the third floor in uh, what they call the lounge, the back lounge. Uh, and we're and surrounded. Are, now, you're all cinephiles, right? Uh, there's no bad movie. You see good in all movies? No. I mean, that's like ridiculous. Of course, they're bad movies. But to me, like, there's a lot of bad movies that are still fun to watch or still have something to teach you, you know? Like Quentin um, Tarantino. Right. I bought his book. I haven't read it yet. He can watch any movie and enjoy it, right? I mean, look, I'm not friends with Quentin, uh, or we call him Q um, in Hollywood. I'm not friends with Q. And, and, when, and when he doesn't want to be noticed, he's QAnon. <laughs> what did you think about the whole Kevin McCarthy, Michigas? Oh, my God. Here's my take. Yeah, is it I have a lot of. Is it is, is it, it extremely hot days? Okay. In fact, I don't know if your show can handle it. Quite okay, frankly, you might get canceled. Um, a lot of people I know enjoyed watching him lose the Speaker of the House election fourteen times before winning it, and definitely there was like I hate Kevin McCarthy enough, especially as a California resident, that it was a joy to watch that. But it, to me, it was more disturbing that there's a small group of fanatics that are basically using the tools of democracy to hold it hostage. That and, is it's the, and it's the same kind of loophole finding that, that got Donald Trump elected in 2015 or 2016, because basically he said, instead of running for office, this was Steve Bannon said running for office of the United States, I'm going to run for, for uh, office in as few states that can carry the, the electoral college. And I feel like these people are like just finding loopholes to kind of get get around the tools of democracy. What do you think the biggest problem facing this country is? Right now, honestly, uh, the fact that uh, education has been systemically undermined for the past 42 years and that uh, people just don't have the critical thinking and assessment skills that they used to have. Not Medicare for all, not our health. <laughs> well, David, I think the people have resoundedly voted against their own best interests, which I told you they would. I don't think they had a choice. Well, they 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 had a choice. They voted again. They voted for a candidate that. Uh, look, I like Joe Biden. I don't care what you say. I think he's a good president. I think he was a good, a really good compromise candidate. For the for the time he was in, uh, we have a question from one of our. Uh, let's. You go. don't want to address that, uh, Dan. Hey, Dan. Uh, there you go. You know, Dan, remember, remember Emilio? Yeah, I remember Emilio Lizardo. He he contacted us on Twitter or something, right, Dan? Dan. Yes, he did. Can you hear Dan? I can hear Dan. Yeah, I'm here. Hear. Oh, Dan, you're there. I am here. Hi. Hello. We're going back to the Steely Dan days here. Now, I can't remember. 
does he not like Steely Dan? Well, some drama started with Liam when he declared he hated Steely Dan. Oh, right. This was the same time frame when there was some uh, upheaval about uh, about Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Steely Dan's pretty bad. How, oh, my God. Dan, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? David, sit back and relax and enjoy my music. Sacrilege, Dan. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should wrap this up. This is good. We should do this more often. Was that your question, Dan? I didn't have a question. You just pulled me in here. Oh, that's what. She, well, that's what got Louis C.K. in trouble. Oh, there we go. I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> he curves to the left. It looks like a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I I do have to go to class soon. Go to class. You. Uh, Let's plug your gigs. Okay. I'm at the Hollywood Improv, uh, February 22nd, the first of a monthly last Wednesday of the month uh, series. You know, let's call it a residency, a monthly residency. Are you Um, a doctor? Is this a hospital? (laughs) I'm actually a a jazz musician. I'm like the Miles Davis. uh, No, I'm I'm like, uh, eh, fuck it. Anyway, I booked a... I've only booked a couple people so far because it's so far in advance, but Andre Dubachet will be there from writer for Conan. Conan. Yeah. And uh, Ever Maynard, who's a, uh, they, they, excuse me, they are a great comedian who just did uh, just for laughs last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is TBD. Uh, Tuberculosis. Yeah. <laughs> With duty. Tuberculosis duty. <laughs> you're not coughing through your mouth and then also why i mean the- you, why don't you come back let's just do a filthy one of the things we need to do dan if we're going uh-huh. to do this show is have like levels for subscribers if i know i promised i would never do that well, patreon do you have a patreon i have a patreon but i don't like it's everything. It's just give me your money. You don't get anything in return. <laughs> there should be like an, a triple X rated version of this show. Right? Well, we'll have to record on a day. I'm not on campus then. Yeah. Um, or it could be really triple X. If we do it on. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, and then the. uh and then the other thing, oh, my Substack. That's right, rightliam.com. And that's why I'm back uh, on the podcast. Not just yours, but I'm going to start going on others. Oh, I just, thought you just wanted to hang out and talk. No, I, I have nothing to plug anymore. It's commerce. The sub, Josh Commerce? Josh, are you making any movies yet? I'm producing. We're producing a film that we're shooting next week. We hit the ground running. So it's a movie which you'll never really be able to see because we don't screen it publicly unless it's at a festival. But uh, is there a part for me? uh, Can you play a Latino dad who's 20 years younger than you are? See, (laughs) what's his name? (laughs) So I can't do that. Can't do that here. Um, (laughs) Sigh. (laughs) <laughs> I can't. No. Listen. Um oh, okay. No, no, seriously, I could get I could get in big trouble. Um what? really? 
Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, busting out funny accents is not not is kind of frowned on at USC. Um but USC? See? USC? I really I really can't. No, listen. You're gonna sue? <laughs> but you know what? And then I'll have to make my own clothes and you know how you know how I'll do that. So yeah. <laughs> um, but listen, no, it's uh it's called Men in Green Jackets. It's it's great. I'm producing it. I'm in the middle of casting. Can I can I tell you something? I put up an ad on backstage, and the first two responses I got, one was a, a tall Russian model whose English is not so good. Mm-hmm. So this is maybe why she didn't read the breakdown. That as a, a young Latino lady, and right. then the second one, and I'm not kidding, was from a lady named Ting Song. You're at USC right now. I am. And her name was what? Her name was Ting Song. Ting Song. That's uh, in fact, I shouldn't probably shouldn't use her full name on a podcast. Maybe you should bleep that out. It's too late. Uh, Why are you laughing? Because it was the role is for a Latina woman between the ages of 25 and 35. Well, don't you think people can see past all that stuff? I, I no. Oh, look, I got to go. I have, I have class in four minutes. I love you, Liam. Liam, I love you too, man. I'll I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Thank you, Liam McEnany. Dan. Yes, sir. We're going to call it a night. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now. The David Feldman Show So get your ears on right Buckle in real